Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. My conversation today is with Mike Bodkin, who acquired a landscaping company in Orlando, Florida. This is a very cool story. First of all, for the speed, Mike just barely had the idea that maybe he would acquire a company eight or nine months ago. And here we are now. He's acquired the company. He's gone through the crucible of the first three months of ownership of this company, cleaned it up, optimized the processes. You're going to hear all about what he's done. And now it's positioned for growth. So in nine months, went from having the idea to owning an almost million-dollar-a-year landscaping company that is very well-positioned to grow and to potentially do other acquisitions. You're going to hear all sides. It's unvarnished, uh, but at the end, very inspirational. Here he is, Mike Bodkin. Mike Bodkin, thanks for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. So you acquired a landscaping company in Orlando, Florida, B&B Landscaping. It is uh, over 40 years old, B&B Landscaping. And so you're really at the front lines of, of SMB acquisition, which is what this podcast is all about and what there's a lot of interest in in general. Um, for our conversation today, I want to do, the first half is I want to hear your story. Um, what led you to, to get into the acquisition entrepreneurship on that path, and then, um, and then the story of the acquisition itself, how you found BNB and 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 the terms of the deal to the extent that you can share, and then the second half is I want to hear about your thoughts on SMB acquisition because it is getting so much of atten- so much attention. Um, there's a lot of I think romantic romanticizing it, um, but you know you're in the trenches now. You're about six months into this acquisition, so um, and you yourself have tweeted some really interesting observations about um, what you found. So that'll be the second half. But uh, by way of introduction, why don't you tell our audience? In brief, you know, your professional history that led you to uh, to want to acquire a business in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely. Appreciate the kind words. Um, growing up, I grew up in, born and raised in Orlando, Florida. I had no um, knowledge or sense of buying businesses. Um, it was just a realm I was never going to be familiar with, with the way I grew up. Um, what, you know, did the college, uh, untraditional college. I'm not an Ivy League guy, I went to South Alabama left there and accomplished my childhood dream. I became a high school teacher and I reached the <laughs> pinnacle of my childhood dream. Uh, found out that's not you know financially rewarding. Left that. Uh, and I think this is important for part of the journey, but I took a giant bet on myself and gave up almost all of my income and benefits. And I joined a startup. Um, it was a SaaS startup based out of New York <laughs> and um, joined and we went from, you know, a handful of us to over 115 and series A and B's and uh, exited to the Dallas Cowboys mm-hmm. and left that not really knowing what I was going to do. And was just taking some time to reflect and move back to Orlando and uh, hooked up with a developer here in the area and um, became the COO of that company. And we ended up having uh, just under uh, 800 million of assets under management um, we had about 52 subsidiaries that we controlled and my, you know, the CEO was a traveling internationally and you know, this is before COVID 
Mm-hmm. And the CFO was based in Ireland. And so I was really the guy here in the United States. And what that meant at a younger age, I'm only 31, you know, and I became that at 27. Um, I had managers looking up to me and asking me questions and answer and wanting answers and decision making and strategic visions. And along with the operational side of that, it led me to the investing side. We are on the buy side on a lot of different avenues. We invested and bought and controlled hotels, restaurants, bars, water parks, um, property management companies, mm-hmm. uh, obviously real estate, um, land, land development was a big part of us, uh, our core. And then we got into service businesses, pool cleaning companies, lawn care companies, um, HVAC companies. And I got to see an inside world of those uh, companies, albeit under the guise of, you know, we had financial backing and we were structured right and everything went perfect because our org chart was set up properly. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of led me into small business. And, you know, it, it really didn't hit me to start looking at, you know, small businesses as an option to purchase until I started seeing it more and more on Twitter. And I started seeing more and more people started talking about it. And at, on a personal level, I felt like, you know, I, f- I feel like, and there are similar people to me, what I'm going to say, um, I, you know, great financial setting, more than I ever dreamed of. I was, mm-hmm. you know, higher than a lot of my peers growing up um, where they were at this time. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, a great plan at my previous firm, but, you know, I wanted the chips to fall on me, good or bad. Um, and I wanted to take that journey out on my own and see what could happen. And, I did not know it was going to be lawn care or landscaping. Uh, during COVID, we think about the businesses I said we owned and operated, hotels, restaurants, bars, water parks. They were all completely shut down. So our we built a brand new 10,000 square foot office for our senior team. And it was like me and one other person in it during COVID. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, well, yeah, you want to know how to burn, you know, 10 million bucks, build an yeah. office building before COVID. Oof. Um, yeah, it was rough, rough. And I'm driving on the high, I had about a 40 minute commute to work. And I'm just passing gas station after gas station. And it's littered with landscaping businesses. Yeah. And our landscaping business was still full service, um, full go. All the employees were there. And I started looking at that, like, all right, this is obviously COVID proof. There's something here. I know our metrics and our financial performance. Um, I wonder what other people's are. So I started researching more and more into that industry and, you know, liked what I found. And um, ironically, can I, can I ask, business, can, when, when yeah, you were your previous, no, no, when you were your previous employer, did, and, and they were, you said they were getting into home services toward the end of your tenure there, was, did you see any landscaping acquisitions up close while you were there? We bought one um, eight months before I left. Uh, I'm sorry, it was a year before I left. Um, so I got to see it, but it, it's different from a standpoint of, and you know, we had we had enough capital to deploy where risk at the level we were buying, there really was no risk. Okay. Um, and, and we're land we were land developers at our core, and we had developments and HOAs and commercial properties. So we were really buying a guy. Could we buy a guy that could run a landscaping division for us? Okay. Um, because we had enough work to feed it. So 
it was different. Um, and I was looking at them with a different lens than when it's my own skin. Right. Um, and I, I think, I don't think it's a negative to say, because like I said, my previous firm, you know, we could inject a million dollars of revenue in the business by a snap of our fingers, just because we own those properties yeah. and they needed lawn care. Yeah. So, yeah. So you'd acquire ways. home services stuff that, that other subsidiaries within the same company would just immediately be the clients for. Yeah. And don't take this wrong, but we kind of looked at the uh, Amazon approach of turn everything, you know, on your balance sheet into income. And we looked at it, you know, think about, we had a property management business with, you know, anywhere between 800 and 1500 homes. Majority of them were in Orlando, Florida, majority of them have pools. So why are we spending 70 bucks a pool a month when we can go hire the employees and do it ourselves? Yeah. Why are we spending a million bucks a year on landscaping? We can do it ourselves. Yeah. So on and so forth. Okay. And that was really our last big, you know, push before I left was home services. And so your interest in landscaping um, was be- was because of this. I mean, that's a great image of seeing all these landscaping companies lining up at the gas station in the in the peak of COVID. Business content that industry continues to thrive. Um, so th- that's really what led you to landscaping versus. Um, seeing some of these other home service industries at your previous company, like pool service or some of the other ones you mentioned, property management. Um, it wasn't there that you got the idea for landscaping. It was that, it was that inspirational moment driving down the, driving down the highway, seeing all these lined up, trucks right. lined up at the gas station. Yeah. And I can touch super briefly on some of those other industries and a lot, cause they're super popular, especially in the, you know, small business Twitter right. world, I'll call it. Um, you know, eight, my thoughts on the HVAC world was, um, we struggled with techs and we paid very well. Um, those guys are licensed to do those services. We're in Florida. Um, it was very hard to retain employees because either they were getting poached off and we were high paying and they were still getting poached off. Mm-hmm. And if they became so good, they just started on their own. Yeah. Um, so I was nervous about the workforce. Um, you're constantly having to raise your labor costs on that. And I do yeah. not want to get in that game. Um, the pool industry, um, not everyone has a pool and some people like to clean their own pool. It's not that difficult to do, you know, um, all ages and, uh, you know, demographics can do it. I thought lawn care was the best one because every, you know, majority of people have a lawn and it sucks to do. Um, <laughs> I have a lawn and I don't like doing it. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it sucks to do. No yeah. one likes doing it. And, um, you know, grass grows, right? Yeah, so. exactly. Cool. That's great. Okay. So you, you make this decision and then tell me about your search. Did you go to one of the websites online? Did you engage with broker, all of the above? Tell us about the search. Yeah. So I went to the normal sites. Um, you know, a sneaky site that people aren't aware of is LoopNet. They look at it more for real estate versus, you know, business buying, but LoopNet, uh, especially here in Florida has a lot of businesses. It's, it's similar to biz by sell. Um, started contacting brokers and started pulling these businesses and looking at the, you know, the differences of them. And ironically, the one that I ended up buying was about 10 minutes from where my office was. <laughs> so I was able, and I don't know if that played into me, picking that one over the others, but I definitely got to see it more intimately than the other ones. On my drive to work, I would look at the properties. Yeah. Um, That's I go out to lunch and I would see the HOA that they're doing and the quality that it had. Um, I would see the guys on the road. Um, I was able to ask some of my employees like, Hey, who does your lawn care? And they tell me who it is. And I'm like, Oh, 
very interesting. Are they good with you? Or are they, you know, good customer service? So I got a really good insight into them. And um, I felt like that was the best one to pull the trigger on for me. Uh, and and were the, I mean, that's amazing, kind of that sort of informal, uh, accidental due diligence you were able to do, but did the financials also, were they also compelling compared to the other deals you were looking at? Or they were they right in line or maybe even a little it worse, was, but you were more comfortable with them or what? Top line, it was the, the second biggest one I was looking at. Um, cash flow, it wasn't as great as some of the other ones. Okay. And it was, in my opinion, due to some mismanagement of just business metrics, but the top line was there. And I knew if, you know, there's low hanging fruit, if I could clean X, Y, and Z up, the cash would, you know, grow enormously. And the other ones, it was more, oh man, we really got to hone in on sales and growth and top line revenue to make something of this. Um, so I felt like the easiest thing to do was clean up a balance sheet versus add revenue. So I can go in there and clean that up pretty easily. And, you know, so I looked at their cash of what they were doing and I, but I knew it could be better. So it was definitely on the higher end for top line. If you look at the bottom line, it was probably middle of the pack. And so you actually saw it as an opportunity that it was frankly not as well run a business that that spelled opportunity for you rather than the other way, rather than being off-putting. Yeah. And, and I think this is safe to say in a lot of industries, but especially, I mean, very, very true to landscaping, unless you're buying a bit, the one I bought did, uh, on average about 800,000 a year. So okay. that's the realm of what I'm talking about. Okay. The ones that, um, are true businesses you're not going to see until they're about three, 4 million plus, um, anything below that they're owner operated. And when I say owner operated landscaping, it's the guy is, is on a mower yeah. and how that comes about is they're normally lifelong landscapers. They're not, you know, college educated. They're not, they didn't have previous even employments. You know, they didn't go work at, you know, this company or this company or this company and learn how to do things. You know, hell, they didn't work at Walmart to learn, you know, customer service. Yeah. Um, they've been landscapers and that's what they know. Yeah. And I saw all the businesses I looked at, their multiples were super low and, I saw that as a huge opportunity versus HVAC, you know, multiples are pretty high, um, you know, because of license requirements of it. Yeah. And this one specifically, we were, able, we were able to negotiate really, really favorable terms um, on this business. And in a way, it's like we brought a gun to a knife fight with how we were able to set up the deal terms because unfortunately the brokers they just want to be able to get done. Yeah. They don't, they're not going to haggle. They're not going to beat anyone up. If a buyer's ready, they're going to make that seller agree. Yeah. Uh, if a seller wants to just get rid of it and fire sale something, they're going to try to align the buyer with it and get it done. Um, so I didn't really have to worry about the broker in terms of negotiation of price. Um, what I had to worry about the broker with was the terms that I wanted. And um, I even had to take the seller to lunch or uh, sorry, dinner privately without the broker and say, this is the only way I'm doing this deal. So it's take it or leave it. Um, wow. But yeah, they were not. So can, can you go into what those terms were? Yeah. So in, in there's a, I know we're going to talk about the SBA in a little bit, but this yeah. is one of the reasons why, you know, really couldn't go SBA, um, even if I wanted to, which I chose not to. Okay. But uh, we did 50% uh, cash down and the rest was a seller note um, with 0% interest. Um, 
I made the broker eat the interest uh, <laughs> okay. on the note, um, just for my liking the brokers. So <laughs> we got it at a good multiple um, and it was only 50% cash and the rest was on a seller note. Um, there, you know, we initially tried an earn out with a clawback and, you know, some more tools and to get the 50% down, we had to get rid of the clawback and the earn out, which at the end of the day still made sense for us. Okay. Okay. And can you yeah, share what the multiple was? It was 2X. 2X on cash flow on EBITDA. Uh, it was, well, so these trade on SDE, um, seller right. discretionary earnings. So it was 2X of his SDE. Okay. So you basically and paid him up front. Business. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you basically paid him up front for a year, for a year in advance of his S, of his take home of his SDE, and then financed the the second year of that. He'd get he'd get a second year of that um, over time at no interest. Over time, correct. Over four years, yeah. Over four years. Wow. That's a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it's a big distinction between SDE and EBITDA, even though you can really look at them in a similar vein. But you know, the cash flow wasn't phenomenal when I bought it, but it's because, especially in a small business doing under a million bucks, um, those guys that are owner operators don't really care if there's you know why is there's no need to have cash in the bank at the end of the year to do anything with it if. They have decent equipment. They're paying their guys. They're paying themselves. They're living like a rock star. They got a boat. They got a big house. They make good bucks. Um, cash in the bank is useless to them. So it either needs to go in their pocket or go to the CapEx or something like that. So I had to really change how I looked at you know cash in a small business. Um, so SDE so, was obviously much bigger than even that. So he basically emptied his cash, his bank account at the end of every year. Um, into his own pocket, which is fine. No reason to keep the cash in the bank account, as you said. And then you have to then kind of figure out what of that stuff is could have and should have stayed in the bank account in a, in a, in a, in a more professionally run business. And that would have, re- and that represents the true profit because he was basically just pocketing it all. Exactly right. Yep. All right. Exactly right. Cool. Um, okay. Well, I want to now... Um, so I, I listened to you on Alex Bridgman's podcast, and one of the things that struck me was you. Well, yeah, you you um, f- and, uh, discover at this business that there's just like a lot of stuff that isn't you know modern or well run. So there there aren't there's not much in the way of record keeping. Nobody's picking up the phone in real time. There's a fax machine. All those, and that's kind of like the cliche with these really small businesses that, you know, more like younger, hungrier, more tech forward types are like, oh man, you know, I can go in there and, you know, get rid of the fax machine and move everything to email and throw in some SEO and I'm off to the races. Um, How true is that? I mean, you, you kind of, it sounds like, in fact, this business was really old fashioned. Was, was this low hanging fruit? Like, did it just make it super easy to make the business super profitable? Just like that. Talk to, talk me through that. Yes. Is your, is the answer to your question. Um, All those things are true, at least in the business I bought in the businesses I looked at as well. Um, And he didn't not take phone calls. He didn't have a phone. (laughs) Um, he had a fax machine that had a answering machine, not an answering Ah. service, an answering machine connected to it. So 
think of, think about that. Give me 10 seconds to explain this. <laughs> I have to know what number to call, right? I find it by some stroke of luck. I call it. It doesn't even ring. It goes right to the answer. I have to leave a voicemail, which, you know, I'm 31. I don't leave many voicemails as right. an individual person. Right. Um, and then I have to hope that he hears it, he hears it, gets my number, calls me on his personal cell phone. And then we start the uh, perspective of, you know, client joining, a, you know, a service, which is a nightmare as it is with the delays. So think about all the issues in that, you know, customer acquisition yeah. uh, platform. It's, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that, that should explain a lot of it. Um, all those things. I mean, there's a story like that for almost every part of the business. What he was really good at was service. Uh, meaning the quality of service was unbelievable. The reputation in the community was unbelievable. And I came to find out later, which I think we'll get into, you know, when we talk about some recent Twitter posts that I've made, <laughs> that also hurt him in a lot of ways, his reputation being unbelievable and him being a good guy and customer friendly and all those things. Um, but to answer your question, yes, all those things are low hanging fruit. One of the more challenging things that I found was I walked into the business with you know, list of 200 things, right? I mean, this is going to be a piece of cake. I've ran much bigger businesses than this. Yeah. I can grow this thing with my eyes closed. Like, yeah. Just show me the door and I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's the mentality. Right. So. And <laughs> every single day I got punched in the mouth. I mean, you name it, it happened. An employee went to jail, court dates, um, missing labor constantly, trucks breaking down, um, you know, equipment missing, um, you know, people don't know, literally they don't know what route to go on. Um, there was no sign in, like there's no clock in or clock out. It was, yeah. What time is John? Okay. Yeah. John is here about seven. Great. I'll pay myself. What? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, my list of 200 things, I crumbled it up and threw it away. And I said, I got to deal with all these fires right here, right now. Um, before I can do anything with growth. Now we grew organically and naturally just by, you know, little small tactics we could do uh, to improve customer experience as well as add revenue to us. Um, but yeah, it was not an easy thing. And I think that really took up three months of my time was dealing with those fires. And then I was able to start really honing the list that I had three months prior. So, so after three months, so it is three months of hell, all getting punched in the face daily, all this unforeseen stuff, people issues, which are of course the hardest issues. Um, But you do survive and, you know, three months is kind of like anybody can do, you know, we can all suffer for three months. It's not, it's not that long. Um, You reach back into the trash can and, you know, and, and smooth out the paper that you crumpled up with your two, your list of 200. I mean, um, while it sounds like it was um, harder than you thought it would be, it also sounds like it's still kind of doable because because you're on the other side of the three months now. And is stuff cooking? Or are you how many of those things have you implemented? The growth, the growth ideas. Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, just you know the the subject line grabber is we had record months as far back as I could go in the company history, but record months back to back. Um, the last two months. Yeah. So it's awesome. Been able to grow the top line. And obviously with that, we see margin increase. So we've been able to do it is, you know, the short uh, and sweet version of it. 
Well, yeah, and, and I think the first three months is going to make or break you, right? Um, there were plenty of days on the drive home where I'm like, oh, damn, like, I don't know what I did. Like, I used to sit comfortably in an office, you know, <laughs> play on a computer and do some spreadsheets and say, yeah, that looks great. Let's do that. Um, <laughs> and now I'm dealing with, you know, you're dealing with real people problems, dealing yeah. with a guy going through divorce. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, it's going through divorce, I'll figure it out. It's like, he's going through divorce, has no money. Um, he has kids like yeah. daycare, like, you know, you're going through and you're neck and neck with them, you know, you're arm and arm with them and you're dealing with people, um, and not college educated people. You're not dealing with figured out people, you know, you got to guide them, right. You got to yeah. be a big brother or kind of a parent of these people as well as maintain simultaneously customer relations, right. You're a new guy. These customers don't know you. Yeah. And I bought a business from a guy who was in it for his entire life and they knew him and he grew up in the area. I did not. Yeah. Um, I grew up about an hour away. So you have to be able to get through the first three months. And if you can, there should be light at the end of the tunnel. And we were able to capture that and, you know, kind of expand upon it. Um, but yeah, we finally started tackling some of our list and, you know, the things we had are, we're seeing the fruit of. That's that's amazing. Just and just before we get off this first three months thing and, and all all those problems, some of the things you described, just like people's personal lives interfering, you know, people have complicated personal lives. That doesn't seem like that seems like something that could just be chronic. Like people are always going to have problems in their personal lives. The things that you've sorted out now that you sort that you're on the other side of those those hard first three months, are they kind of permanently fixed or are they always just going to, there's always going to be some of them there. There's always going to be some punches in the face or can you come in, suffer for three months, but fix it. And then now you have a finely tuned machine. You know, I look at myself when you ask that question, my life isn't perfect. I have issues in my life on an ongoing basis, right? Like I think we all can relate to. So I think it'd be foolish for me to say, we put that to bed. That's solidified that people are problem free now. Yeah. And problems could be they're constantly 10 minutes late because they have to take their daughter to school. Yeah. Um, or it could be they don't show up, you know, half the time. Or it could be, you know, it's hot, right? I live, We live in Orlando. It's hot outside and they're getting lazier um, because, you know, the heat and they got to reacclimate. Or it could yeah. be financial. They have new burdens. You know, one of my employees had a baby and that comes with a whole host of new issues, especially financially. Um, you have to deal with all that. And I'm not even talking performance. I mean, think about all the things I talked about. I'm not talking about, man, you did a great job today, or man, you know, you went a little slow today. We need to pick it up. So I would be foolish to think that all those problems are solved. What I think we've done is I've, they know how to deal with me better and I know how to deal with them better. Um, they know what to expect from me on a daily basis. And I make it clear what I expect from them on a daily basis. And we try to stay in that. Um, one of my things I like to tell them and others, I can handle good news. I can handle bad news. I do not like surprises and I cannot handle surprises. Yeah. So just give it to me raw and uncut and let me figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, that's seemed to work so far. And we've also adjusted the org chart a little bit where there is now a layer in between most of the time. Um, and that's helped and allowed me to focus on growth and allowed me to focus on, you know, employee care and customer retention and customer growth and, you know, employ morale. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to try to distill this and to be oversimplistic, but 
when you hear about this interest in people buying a small company, uh, it sounds sounds like you do think you have you are an example of that that this is possible. And and now you have a pretty it sounds like you have a pretty strong base for good growth, but it's harder than you think. Is that a fair encapsulation? But it is possible. Like this is it. This isn't a fantasy. It can really be done. <laughs> <laughs> it can be done, and it's great. Like I wouldn't. You know, all those things I just talked about, which suck, right? You know, dealing with all that stuff sucks. That's not, we don't wake up wanting to deal with those things. Yeah. Um, but man, I, you know, I wouldn't go back. Yeah. Um, I think it's awesome. Um, I get to have a stamp on where our business goes. I get to have a stamp on, you know, seeing my employees succeed, seeing customers happy. And, you know, at the end of the day, I get to be rewarded as well, um, yeah. financially as well, uh, you know, specifically. So I wouldn't change it, you know, for anything. Um, it is possible. Um, I do think, you know, the the MBA guys and the PE guys that listen are smarter than me. They can work an Excel sheet better than me. Um, their IQs are bigger than mine. I do think they struggle with understanding not every deal is perfect, and I do think they should spend more time on people management. Or and, and I say they, and that's a big you know, classification, obviously, but there's more to a business and a deal than, you know, the, the multiples, the, the EBITDAs, the margins, it is a people business. Yeah. And I, it, I feel like if you can understand that, you know, you can have success. Yeah. Great. Well put. Uh, well, before I let you go, I want to hear about one other optimization uh, that you just recently tweeted about, which I found very fascinating. Um, they go to the unit economics uh, of your business, uh, which, you know, you're being humble, but anybody who, who even knows what unit economics are, you know, knows their, knows their way around Excel. So uh, I know, I know that you, um, <laughs> you, you, you know, you know how to run the numbers. So t- tell me, walk me through what you tweeted uh, and this giant discovery you had, uh, discovery you had and what you've done to rectify it when I was finally able to take the water hose out of my mouth and look up at our business, um, our margins just weren't what I thought they should be. Um, our cost of labor was really high. And so I understood that obviously from a PL perspective and a financial perspective. Um, but some common sense just took over, you know, I'd go look at a property and, you know, if I'm doing your house and your neighbor's house, they're the exact same size. I take the exact same time to do, but we're charging you 200 and we're charging your neighbor a hundred mm-hmm. and the 200 is not over the moon expensive. So I know that's okay. Mm-hmm. But why is this only a hundred? And I'm going to jump back to my story about how the previous seller or excuse me, the previous owner is, you know, great community guy. You know, maybe your neighbor was his baseball coach growing up, you know, yeah. maybe that was his buddy, his kids, you know, teacher or his kid's friend. Um, and that caused for emotion to play into pricing as well as all, you know, all revenue is not good revenue to me. Yep. Some other people may like it, right? They may want to just grow top line. And I think a lot of people in this industry get caught on just taking revenue when, it, when it's available. Yep. And we were able to decipher that and go through literally property by property by doing some, you know, work. And my guys got mad at me because I'm making them essentially clock in and clock out of every property. <laughs> How dare I, you? Yeah, man. It, you know, that was a challenge in itself. You know, uh, did, did the first day, a funny, quick story. 
the first day I got the sheets back, it was like, I got there at nine. I left at nine fifteen. I got to the next one at nine fifteen. I left at nine 30. And it's like, so did you fly there or how did you leave one at nine fifteen? How's that possible? So I had to go through that, obviously. But yeah, yeah. man, we looked, the unit economics were awful. Um, we found almost a third of our customers were negative uh, a margin. Uh, so so you're, lo- you're losing money on a th- fully a third of your accounts. I'm paying them to service their property, right? Essentially, amazing uh, by providing labor and all that. And this is after, and I think this is important. I knew something was off, so I changed up all the routes. Um, you know, we had uh, anywhere between six to eight trucks going out on the road every single day. I changed the routes up to get more density. Um, I changed the crew up. You know, I leveled out kind of the wages to see if that mattered. And at the end of the day, a bad account's a bad account. And no matter what you do, it's still a bad account. Yeah. So, you know, we realized that. And unfortunately to customers, um, we had to drop them. And I, you know, t- this morning I took a call from one that we dropped. We are not raising your price. We're just dropping you because it's not worth the conversation. Let me tell you, you're paying 50% of what you should be paying. Um, yeah. So you need to double your price. And we took another third of our customers and we did raise their price um, anywhere from five to 20%. And we have not had much kickback on that. On the ones we permanently drop, um, you know, we've had a handful come back and agree and say, name my price and I'll do it, which is just speaks to the quality of service that my guys provide. Um, And there was one neighborhood, which this got a lot of traction one neighborhood, we have 17 homes in there. They're vastly underpriced. And I told all of them, one guy kind of led their group. And I said, uh, everyone needs to go up 25% across the board or else we can't service. And 15 out of 17 agreed. And it's like, A, think about what it's going to do to our margins over the next couple of months. um, Even if it's negative five to, you know, plus, you know, 15% think about that. Like that's insane for our business. Um, that's but, insane. You know, that's about, a huge amount of new cash flow. Exactly. Yep. And, and top line will go down obviously because we got rid of a lot of customers, yep. but our margins will increase. And now we're able to focus on, you know, going after better margin customers, but think about this business has been in business for almost 45, just over 45 years actually. And, you know, they were doing accounts that did not make money. And, you know, that's part of small business, right? Um, that happens in every business. So every business is not perfect. But if you can get through the weeds and understand it and do something like, you know, a unit economics test and figure it out, that's real low hanging fruit. You know, that's the low hanging fruit of turning that faucet off and now gaining margin immediately. Um, and it's had, you know, this is our first week of doing it, of mm-hmm. searching our new routes. Mm-hmm. Um, our guys are happier because we're doing less accounts. We're spending more time there. Um, I'm happier because now they're spending more time there, but I'm making more money and I've accounted for the time that they're spending there. Um, and honestly, the the bottom third of those margin customers now, and, and I say that they're not bottom third of revenue, bottom third of margin. Yeah. Those guys were paying the asses. Yeah. Um, you know, they're holding my guys up every trip because, you know, the grass is a centimeter higher than what it should be. Um, they're calling the office constantly. They constantly want face to face with me. And so, so you noticed there was a correlation between the folks who got a great deal and were pay- not paying very much and your worst customers anyway, your worst behaved customers. 
generally speaking, um, there were some, there was a, bu- I would put, put them in two buckets. One bucket was they're all underpriced, right? Vastly. Right. One bucket, they're just underpriced. Right. Um, and I would feel like a dick going to you saying, you need to pay me double what you've been paying me when there are guys, you know, that have a single truck and their buddy that will service that property for that price. Yeah. But I have a full professional crew, you know, the multiple mowers, the four guys, the, all the equipment that's not for your property. Yeah. Um, so that was half those customers. The other half were, you know, time suckers. And what I mean by that is they're constantly calling, they're texting, they're wanting something, they're wanting stuff for free. Um, if a sprinkler had breaks and you charge them 10 bucks for it, they're going to argue that 10 bucks and, um, it frees up a lot of headspace by getting rid of them. Yeah. There was a correlation to that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it just, I feel like I have to learn and relearn this lesson that, you know, charge, uh, charge more and, uh, get better clients. It's so counterintuitive. Yeah. It, you know, in when I was going through this, you know, I was nervous. Right. And I, I don't know if I illustrated this well on Twitter or not, but, um, you know, Hey man, I gave away a big chunk of voluntarily kicked off a big chunk of revenue. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's scary. Yeah. Right. Scary. And when I was going through that process, we landed a very large HOA customer with 40% margins. If things go well, 34, 35, if, you know, normal stuff breaks or whatever. Uh, but that's 35 to 40% margin. And I was like, okay, this is possible. You can charge quality pricing and perform quality work and, you know, get paid, you know, good margins. So I shouldn't be scared of dropping these people because they're not good clients to have anyway, because I'm losing money. So yeah, well, if you just run the numbers, you're super tight. You, you, you uh, make sure that the, the punch in and punch out times are accurate from your, from your crew. Um, and you're just very confident that you're actually losing money on those jobs, then it, then there, there shouldn't be any doubt at all. In fact, the, the sooner you do it, the better, but I can understand how it's, it's, it's scary no matter how certain you feel it would be scary to walk away from revenue, which is, which is probably precisely why the, the, the previous owner got into the fix in the first place. It's hard to say no to revenue. That's right. And I'll give uh, my investor, JD Ross, who's an unbelievable partner to have told me a month prior, you need to drop these customers um, or you need to just raise the, you know, triple their price and see what happens. And I was like, Oh man, like I, our math is saying that's the right thing to do. Our common sense says that's the right thing to do. You're looking at it fresh saying we should do it. And, you know, just in me, I'm like, nah, I, I need to pencil this out one more time. I need to make sure I need it. It's the right thing to do when you remove all, you know, obstacles to it, you have to do it. Um, and it's going to make our company better for sure. Well, Mike, um, despite the the 90 days of being punched in the face, the way where I'm sitting is I'm seeing a guy who didn't even know this space existed eight months ago, now owns a business, three months of pain. And I'm not saying it's not painful anymore, but three months of real pain, got through that, optimized the, the, the crap out of what you had. And, and, can, and now you do seem like you're kind of off to the races, I'm not saying it's easy, but it seems like you really have a trajectory in front of you. So, um, we're much more focused. You're going to give people, you know, you're going to give people a bad example. Everyone's going to want to come do this now. <laughs> I listen, man. I hope so, man. The it, if it works, it's the American dream, yeah. right? I grew up, you know. I, I don't know how it is where you live, but in like elementary schools where I live, you know, they do like canned good rate, canned good uh, raises, sure. and 
give food. I was one of those families receiving it, right? Yeah. So the fact that I was the first person in my family to go to college, I can say I'm a business owner and I'm impacting other people's financial situations. Dude, that's a home run, man. Yeah. And, and you know, if you can find a good business and or make a good business and uh, you know feed other people's families, you know, I encourage everyone to do it. And I think there are a lot of older generations looking for you know uh, resolutions to their issues of you know what to do next. And you know, I encourage everyone to do it. You know, there's obviously some caveats, but man, it's it's awesome. Well, the other thing, and not, and not to be too flattering or too 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 overly positive, but the other thing about your story is that like the American dream can also just be having your own business and, and starting that business from scratch, which is also amazing and great. Um, but your 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 entire story so far is only eight months long. I mean, eight months from a twinkle in your eye to where you are now. Do, do I have that chronology right? Roughly, yeah. So, so that's a very accelerated uh, timeline to go from zero to business owner. Um, so that, that's, I think that's also an important part of the story compared to starting if you had started this landscaping business from scratch. Or if I did a search fund for two years. Yeah, right. Or the people who are doing <laughs> kind of slightly, you know, search funds, bigger, bigger, looking for bigger deals and being more choosy um, who, who may never pull the trigger or spend years at it. That's right. Well, there's more to talk about, Mike, but um, I'm going to I'm going to end it there and uh, hope to have you back on um, a plug for next time would be that you raised money on Twitter, uh, which is a story in and of itself uh, to raise money for this deal on Twitter. Um, but we'll we'll save that for next time. Thanks a lot for sharing your story, man. This was um, it's a great story. And um, yeah, you, you really transparent and appreciate all that. Absolutely. man. I really appreciate you having me on. And thanks for all the kind words. Cool. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Mike.